Thank you all for coming. I appreciate it. Uh, I am going to call the meeting to order. And um, looks like tonight we have the cast of Ben-Hur, so it'll be a really interesting meeting, I suspect. Uh, welcome all. Uh, will you please call the roll? Trustee Lawrence. Here. Trustee DeVries will be absent today. Trustee Hernandez. Here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Jensen is not here yet. Trustee Lujanani. Present. Trustee Zorthian. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. And we open the meeting with the uh, opportunity for public comment. Do we have any cards for public comment? Not at this time. Okay. Yes, oh, um, we have somebody completing okay. it. Okay. One speaker. Okay. Thank you, Ann. Um, my name is Ann Schuyler. I'm a field representative for SEIU Local 10 to 1. We represent 2,760 employees of Alameda Health Systems. Uh, I'm here today because you are discussing your strategic plan. It does contain uh, items that fall within the scope of representation uh, in the union's role as advocates for its employees. I have with me... And step up to the microphone a little bit more. Thank, thank you. you. Mm -hmm. I have with me a demand to bargain, which is an invitation. And so I will leave that with the clerk of the board. There are Please. sufficient copies for the group of you. The other thing that we'd like to make sure that you understand is that we're concerned about the limited number of applicants for the two seats that you have open on your board. And what we would encourage is that you extend the opportunity for a greater number of members of the public and this community who rely on this system for health care to apply. Uh, one month is not sufficient, five names is not sufficient, two names is not sufficient, and our membership does have concerns about the appointment of a former employee of the organization. Um, uh, yeah, they're, they're deeply concerned about Ms. Horton's application. Uh, they would like to see, uh, s they'd like to see m some other options. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Any other public comment? Okay, then I will move to, uh, I will move to action item and, um, let me begin by saying to you, Mr. Moy, how much I appreciate the extensive uh, background that you gave to us for this end-of-life option. It was really quite extensive, a lot of information, and much appreciated. So before we enter into discussion, could I have a motion to approve? I will move that. Uh, Jim, would you mind second? I gave the approval to Kinkinney for first. Okay, then I'll second it. Thank you. Okay, let's open it for discussion. And, Board, do you have any questions of Mike, or, Mike, do you have any final words you want to say? Uh, well, first, I thank you, and uh, and I should also thank uh, Alexander Pena, our legal intern for the summer, who uh, assisted me ably and helped in uh, putting together you know not only the information but also the presentation of it as well, too. Um, unless there are uh, any specific questions, um, I don't know that there are any uh, additional comments I would add in here. I tried to incorporate everything that I thought you know, was relevant in terms of the discussion. But I do want to reiterate <clears throat> that our plan going forward uh, is that this will shift more from a legal to a, a clinical medical uh, 
um, process at this point in terms of the development of the policy. I'm working uh, along with Alexander on some of the initial pieces of that, but um, I am uh, anxiously anticipating uh, the arrival of our new CMO, uh, who I will work with him to sort of take a laboring order to ensure that this reflects what's necessary for uh, the providers and the staff who are going to have the direct impact or the direct dealings under this. Is ongoing uh, do you have a timeline and when you think your policy will be uh, um, drafted and then I assume you're going to take it to QPSC and yes I would say optimistically you know we might look at the uh, September um, series of meetings the September QPSC meeting and the September board meeting um, but um, you know Dr. Gasson gets here in the first part of August and you know we can do some stuff before he gets here but I think so the optimistic timeline would be is that we would be bringing this back and then uh, but October was probably the more likely time. Okay so go QPSC uh, for review and then to the board as a whole if yes. QPSC advances. Yes. Okay, yes. thank you. Um, any board comments? Just glad that um, this legislation is there. California becomes the fifth state in the nation to do that, and that um, we do compassion. Thank you. We, we missed those great comments. Do you want to? <laughs> Yeah, just just glad to be part of the um, um, that supports this as uh, much needed fifth state in the nation to pass this kind of legislation and compassion and care is something that our um, population really needs. Okay, if there's no other comment, I'll call for a question. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's move on to the approval of candidates for submission to the Board of Supervisors. Um, and I'm going to ask, uh, we established an ad hoc committee, um, which was comprised of myself, uh, Trustee Hernandez and Trustee Banerjee, and I will ask them if they would like to review how the process occurred and um, and what we did in the timeline, and I can fill in as, as we go. So, yeah, we, um, we met and um, went through the process of setting the timeline, drafting um, with um, Mike, our general counsel's help, dra drafting the application form where we had the statement of interest and the timeline for that. And uh, the trustees and the other networks, I think this was set, put on, the, on your website through other um, advertised through other channels that AHS has and through each of our networks as well. And also, I know that um, Trustee Hernandez spoke to some of the um, uh, supervisors to make sure that we had geographical uh, uh, representation as well as some of the skill sets that were needed. So we definitely felt that we needed some things for the board, finance, um, healthcare, um, administration and those kinds of skill sets needed. Uh, we met and um, we did and uh, reviewed the applications, and then uh, we had a chance to uh, follow up with a couple of them. So, uh, Rusty Hernandez, do you want to go first with how your conversation? Sure. Um, my responsibility was to. Oops, 
Um, let me just get his bio here real quick. My responsibility was to interview Anthony, and I'm blocking on his last Thompson. name, Thompson. Thank you so much. I just saw the page. Um, and uh, he happens to be someone who serves on our foundation board uh, and has served in that capacity also as a treasurer for our foundation. Uh, one of the issues that I did ask of him is whether he would be comfortable leaving that role in order to join us. And um, this is important just to be uh, completely candid with him about not having any sort of conflict of interest. There really isn't one according to our council, but uh, it might be prudent for him to go ahead and do that also given the time that's required. Um, I do want to say that he was really enthusiastic about the opportunity, understands the time commitment, understands the need to transition off of that board, and particularly uh, given that his term was actually uh, soon to be finished. So um, one of the things I can assure everyone in the audience, everyone here, I do believe that we've vetted uh, two individuals that have the uh, fullest capacity to serve, fullest intent to represent our community, and so I have uh, nothing but the best to say about his uh, candidacy. And I can share. Um... So uh, I spoke with Kimberly Horton, and I did not know her when she worked here. I think uh, the month I joined was the time that she left. So um, we spoke about, uh, you know, her. She really uh, brought again some of the enthusiasm of being part of a, um, of this restructuring and redesigning of the healthcare to population health management. She felt she had great depth of knowledge about the um, the community as well. And uh, since she works. In Sacramento, a big thing was how present could she be? Could she be with the kind of aggressive um, meeting schedules that we have? That would she be here in person? And those kinds of things seem to be viable for her. Again, in my conversation, I found her knowledgeable, sharp, no nonsense, and also um, really eager um, to serve on the board and help this organization. Um, I would like to add, because there was a question about the distribution, um, this not only was on our AS AHS webpage, but it was put on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, the county health network system, and each of us on the board distributed it to our own relationship and networks that we work with. So it did, in fact, get a pretty wide distribution. Um, there could be a question about whether or not a month uh, is long enough. Um, when you're short of board members, a month seems interminable, but um, we decided that we thought 30 days would give enough time for the applicants. We got a total of five, um, and we have reduced it down to the two. So I'll ask any board member um, any other questions or comments. I do want to say that I, too, am uncomfortable with uh, the nomination of Kim Horton. Uh, it's a little bit difficult to say why, but some of it based on conversations I've had with other employees. Okay. Um, there are a couple things that the board could do. We have, 
we're pretty much obligated based on our relationship with the county um, board of supervisors to send forward two, two names. Um, we could in fact rank those, the two existing candidates. Um, I believe, and I'm not speaking for the committee, but I would say that the other candidates were not in the were not uh, worthy of consideration at this point in time. So um, we would have to we'd have to go back out if if we can't send them two, or we send them one and um, and we we live with that. So there are a couple options. One. We could rank the candidates and um, move the two forward to the county and have have another opportunity for public input. We could not rank them, send them forward, or we can decide that we will only send one, and that puts the supervisors in a little more difficult position because then they are basically rubber stamping as opposed to having an option or choice. Tracy. Uh, would you clarify, my phone's not nearby, but would you clarify the ranking? How, how, how would that work? Do you propose ranking the, those two? Yes, yes. That, that would be, so if you have a preference of one or the other, um, we would say this would be our first choice for the very end. We would come up with the reasons, and I, I could probably uh, talk to some of those right now, or we just send them both forward. So, but that's the board's choice. We could also I, we also can postpone this if if in fact you're uncomfortable. My suggestion, and I did read all of the applications, and um, I wasn't on the the the, um, the committee. And let me say that I, while I appreciate that the committee did have a review, I also appreciate that all of the information came forward to the entire board. In my experience in the past, that wasn't always the case that all of the information was shared by the nominating committee. So. Um, I appreciate that, and I also don't have nearly in any way the breadth of or scope of, of um, information or information sharing from anyone else, anyone, period, besides um, the, I, I know Anthony slightly from his foundation work, and, um, and full disclosure, his sister about six years ago was my son's voice teacher, I think, voice or piano teacher. But um, other than that, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I do think that he's an, a very effective candidate, and, and, I, and I know nothing about him, you know, even I know that nothing about him or his sister that would make me, lead me to believe that he would not be very effective. And, and in the past, he actually, um, some time ago, asked about when I was new on the board, he asked about how that took place and what my experience was. So he has seemed to me to be interested in it for some time. I don't know anything about Ms. Horton or, or the other candidates personally. And given um, given board member um, Zorthian's, Dr. Zorthian's concern or, or anything that may have come up, I would I would suggest, and my, my um, suggestion and my, my um, proposal would be that we move ahead with Anthony and either go out again or have another discussion at a future board meeting about the other candidate once um, board members Arthur can share information either confidentially or 
in full board. I, I would like to I would like to add to the conversation that I think there is a significant difference between an individual um, who has authority as an individual and who is employed versus uh, sitting on a board because individual board members really have no power. It is the collective that has the power, and. Um, and from that standpoint, if in fact a decision is made uh, by an individual board member, it carries no weight. It has to come from the majority of the board. So from that, from that dynamic, I do believe that if there is a concern about relationships or decision making, etc., those things can in fact be mitigated by the collective as opposed to the individual. So looking at a person as they are employed is entirely different than looking at an individual who serves on a board and other people can, can um, mitigate decisions. I also, frankly, like controversy on, a, I don't want to say controversy, differences of opinion on a board because I think that improves the democratic process. So um, sometimes it's good to have that back and forth of people that you don't necessarily agree with. So I just throw that out. Um, like the rest of you, I, I have really no bias for either of the candidates. I think they were the strongest. I do believe that we gave enough time and enough notice so I'm not I'm not adverse to moving forward with with a direction, either a single candidate or both of them. I, I feel more comfortable with both, but um, that's entirely up to the board. I would as well. Um, I, and this is not to dismiss the concerns being raised, but quite frankly, um, we had time to raise these concerns about candidates before, and I think um, our chairwoman has said something very important. There's a difference between someone being on the board and someone being an employee. And uh, as long as we know, and we don't need to discuss this here, but as long as we know that this person did not leave this institution because of some violation of a law, then their status should remain as a candidate and let the board of supervisors uh, hear of recommendations from the outside public if that is the case. But it seems to me that we should forward both names uh, for consideration and the board will have to make a choice because they only have one seat uh, to uh, fulfill. We, uh, so we, as a reminder, we have two, posi two open mm -hmm. positions on the, on, for the board. Um, mm -hmm. One is for our vetting and our recommendation, and the other is for the Board of Supervisors to to recommend without our vetting and without our permission. Um, so that's basically how this process works according to our bylaws. So is there an interest in ranking them, or do you want to move them both forward at the same level? I would rank them because that would be my preference. Okay. Any other? I, I do think that Ms. Horton's name should be forwarded because, you know, she we went through a pretty rigorous process and also a very, very, I don't think extending the deadline by another two weeks or three weeks would change it because there were so many avenues that the notice went out through. Um, I... Um, 
So I, I, I think that we've done our due diligence, understand that, and we also have a very um, intentional orientation process where any new person coming on the board understands the agreements that the board and the management together has come up with about um, trustees not you know, being a collective rather than having um, individual power. I, I would be okay with the ranking. I would I would be fine with that. I don't have to, you know, because we do need some finance thing. I think from the geographical point of view, having someone from Livermore was really uh, enticing to us. We haven't had anyone from there, but um, because we do need the urgency for someone with a finance background is important. I wouldn't mind. Uh, I would be okay with ranking. Okay. I have no preference. Okay. Tracy, do you have a preference? Okay, well then, in, Jim, are you there? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to ignore you. He's on mute. Jim, are you on mute? You're saying okay. wonderful things. Uh. <laughs> oh, sorry, do you hear me now? I was on mute. Uh, Jim, um, do you have yeah, a preference? I, I, I wish we had more candidates, but I don't see how extending things by you know, a couple weeks or a month is really going to get more candidates, right? Um, uh, I, I, you know, uh, I, I prefer not to um, rank candidates simply because, you know, to the extent that we are, you know, if one of our concerns is we want to present two candidates for one position because we don't want to tie the supervisor's hands, then to say, here's number one, here's number two, and they choose number two, I think that also ties their hands and makes, and they put them That's in a bad a position. Point. That's a good so, point. So, you know, I think we put forward two unranked, one or none. Um, that would be my, so that would be my perspective. And um, I, I do have one question. Um, in addition to the interviews, what other procedures were used to, um, you know, vet the candidates. I, I wasn't clear on that. Well, you mean besides the the extensive application, the double checking their references, um, looking at. Okay, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't catch the references. That, that's what I was after. So, okay, okay. No, that's fine. Um, okay, so I'm done talking. Okay, well then I'm going to move forward for a vote. Uh, we will send both names. I'm getting the gist of the board. I'm sorry, Barry. We'll send both names forward, uh, clearly indicating the, the strengths of each and the desire of our board and how they can serve our position. So um, could I have uh, a motion to approve? So moved. Second. Second. Okay, all those in favor? Aye. Okay, Aye. the board approved. Thank you. Uh, let's move on to the main portion of our education session, and that is um, our discussion on the strategic plan. And so, am I to turn it to you? Uh, I think so. Okay. Uh, good afternoon, trustees. Always great to see you. Um, excited uh, about today's presentation. Um, I want to sort of set some context and and then we'll go into the presentation. Um, this is a uh, sort of culmination of a, of a very robust effort 
but it is not the culmination of a process, uh, meaning that there's still more to come on this, and you will hear uh, that reflected in uh, uh, much of the discussion that I will be doing uh, today, and I'm happy that I'll be doing this with a lot of folks who have been very actively involved uh, in that process over, over the past few months, uh, many of our clinical uh, leaders and administrative leaders who are uh, joining us around the table today uh, will we'll, um, be sharing with you various aspects of uh, the, the high-level plan that we have right now um, uh, and then what our next steps will be um, uh, subject to your concurrence. Um, uh, just for the sake of uh, not necessarily the trustees, but for the audience, remind people that this is the education session, so it's not an action item of sorts. It is um, a continuation of a series of in points of inject where we have uh, come back to the board to give you status updates on the plan throughout the process of the plan or the course of the planning effort and now we're bringing it to you as we sort of uh, wind up the formalized planning effort uh, that we underwent with our um, uh, external partner SG2 and as we move uh, more more um, um, uh, purposefully into the next stage, which is much more detailed business planning to actually affect uh, the the high level themes that you'll hear about today. Uh, it's in that vein that um, this is a you know a question and answer uh, session. So uh, feel free to stop me or any of the presenters at any point for clarification. Uh, we've tried to uh, also build in sufficient time in the presentation for Q and A afterwards uh, as well. But but feel free to stop us as as, as we go along. Okay, okay. All right, so uh, what you'll be hearing today is a high-level report of the strategic plan for the next three to five years. Um, what you'll hear throughout the detailed presentation is that uh, uh, we believe that the mission and the vision of AHS uh, are still imperative uh, for our community and in our community. That notwithstanding, all of the shifting dynamics of the delivery system around us, uh, the demands of payers, policymakers, um, uh, patients, and their, their uh, representatives, and our employees and the overall population require that AHS uh, shift our approach to executing uh, our mission and reaching for our vision in some fundamental ways that will impact not who we serve, uh, but how we serve them and how we organize and sustain the delivery system uh, successfully. So, sorry, so, so the goal of the plan is to create a solid strategic and operational foundation that positions AHS as a population health manager for patients throughout the county with heavy emphasis, but not exclusive uh, focus on the historical uninsured or underserved, my apologies. Uh, the three imperatives that you see uh, um, below here are listed here will be expounded on throughout our presentation uh, to underscore what they mean and how they will be reflected in our work going forward. Now, while we've landed on population health management as a desired approach to our strategic direction, uh, we didn't actually start there. Uh, as, is, as noted in this slide, we originally set out with a somewhat nondescript or nonspecific idea of a plan to achieve sustainable growth and improve financial performance as an organization. However, throughout the iterative process of internal and external environmental analysis, scenario planning, and stakeholder input, uh, the prevailing consensus of the providers, managers, and senior leadership engaged in this process was that becoming a population health manager was the best known and best available approach to realizing our mission and our vision. 
As you may recall from previous pre presentations to the board over the course of the planning effort, we organized this plan or this approach in four distinct phases, as you see reflected here. This phase approach involved objective and subjective data gathering and analysis, stakeholder interviews and check-ins or check-backs, as well as very focused high-level planning uh, that you will hear about from some of the leaders who will present today. While we are pleased with those efforts or these efforts thus far, uh, what you'll also see is that we still have some additional work to do, some detailed business planning that needs to occur to affect the strategy, uh, with particular emphasis in the coming months of the first year, uh, so this year. And while we were able to solicit feedback uh, for, and engagement from a host and a robust group of internal and external stakeholders, we still do intend and in fact need to uh, continue to reach out to our patients, uh, to our frontline staff, and to our labor partners uh, as we um, as we uh, appropriate in the early, as appropriate, I'm sorry, in the early stages of our planning and implementation. Would you, would you give us a little um, more specificity about those stakeholders thus far that you've, you've done? So cool. the reach out and who those people were? Or? Gladly, absolutely. So in phase one, in the market analysis and service, service prioritization, uh, there was a robust sort of uh, uh, objective data analysis of data that came from the state, came from our own internal uh, data, from peers data. Uh, there there was also, uh, as a corollary to that, a, a slew of um, uh, internal and external stakeholder interviews. So uh, SG2 conducted a lot of interviews with a lot of the clinical leaders and administrative leaders throughout the organization. Um, uh, external to the organization, we talked to some of our more traditional partners like the CHCN, the Community Healthcare Network, and the Alliance. Um, we also spoke to uh, members of the county leadership in uh, HICSA. Uh, we spoke to, uh, I believe, Actually, one or two supervisors as well, though I, I can't be certain about that. Uh, we also spoke to uh, leaders from Kaiser uh, um, uh, Hospital in Oakland. We spoke to folks from Washington Hospital in Fremont. We spoke to leaders at Children's Hospital in Oakland, uh, and uh, perhaps a few other stakeholders. That so, I'm, I'm so this was about. more of a needs assessment process at the beginning than it is about a plan. Correct. That's right. Before we got into the plan, it was a part of the uh, subjective and update, uh, objective data uh, gathering. And it was a combination of not just uh, needs assessments, um, sort of from a broader community, but it was, you know, how do you view AHS as a partner? What role do you see AHS filling both now and into the future? If you were, you know, uh, uh, having a say in, and in fact that was the opportunity to have a say in our planning effort, what advice would you provide to AHS? Uh, what sort of opportunities do you see on the horizon for us to uh, meet the needs of the community? Uh, I would actually point out as well, uh, trustees may recall, you were also uh, uh, interviewed as mm -hmm. a part of that process. Uh, and then just throughout the process, uh, and some of that uh, at much at the um, uh, the impetus of the, the trustees as we brought forth the, uh, the, the presentations or the updates, uh, we kept checking back with our, um, our partners as we went along uh, to say, you know, this is where we are, where the data is leading us. This is where our own internal conversations, our discussions are, are calling forth opportunities. How do you feel about that? Do you think we're on the right track? Uh, how does that jive with your own planning efforts? Because uh, we, we, uh, uh, 
came to appreciate that we weren't the only ones undergoing strategic planning efforts at various phases. Uh, full disclosure, I'm on the Alliance Board and actually co-chair the Strategic Planning Committee uh, for the Alliance, and so I uh, have the opportunity to kind of make sure that a lot of what we are doing syncs well with where they are seeing the world, role of the community or the role of the safety nets from the payer pers uh, perspective as well. So a lot of those sort of uh, uh, loopbacks, not just to this board, but also to our partners to to uh, seek some uh, feedback to um, validate that we heard uh, uh, what they offer to us, that uh, we were headed in a direction or think we're heading in a direction and to see how they might uh, shape and influence that as we continue our planning efforts. Okay? Okay. Um, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit in the next three slides on the impetus for strategic repositioning. So again, there's our, 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 the market dynamics, as we'll go into later, uh, uh, or just in, in just a second, um, did not call out a need for us to uh, do anything to change our mission or to change our vision as we looked at various environmental scenarios uh, for things that were you know, happening in the local market or things that were happening in a national or regional market, uh, that things that are beyond our control, things that are somewhat unknown, um, uh, we kept coming to mission, vision, still imperative for the organization. Uh, we'll talk about financial sustainability and stakeholder feedback as well. So again, market dynamics, uh, while the dynamics uh, uh, were shifting and Alameda, our system is serving a growing population with significant disparities in socioeconomic indicators, so the social determinants of health, uh, uh, creating strategic challenges for our, uh, the organization and uh, um, uh, actually fulfilling our mission, the dynamics still suggested that that need was still there. The competitive pressures were also something that was growing over time, that um, uh, in the marketplace, particularly in the state, while uh, the Affordable Care Act led to uh, the, the growth of a, um, a, a public option in terms of the, uh, the California exchange, uh, it also led to growth in expansion of Medi-Cal, and when we looked across the board, the sort of net growth was really in the Medi-Cal population, and that was uh, generating a lot more focus and attention from people who weren't necessarily historical players in that market, and also providing new opportunities to people we traditionally serve. So uh, we're certainly feeling the competitive pressures to uh, make sure that we were positioned correctly going forward. And um, uh, not just within uh, what we'll be doing, but uh, throughout the, um, the delivery system, a greater shift towards population health occurring in and around us uh, um, was a dynamic that we that was called out in our in our um, in our uh, data collection phase. With respect to financial sustainability, the Affordable Care Act and other uh, um, uh, reform initiatives like the waiver uh, really were uh, providing greater emphasis on aligning organizations and our delivery systems around the triple aim, so better health, better health care, and uh, lower costs. And in some cases, uh, some would argue the quadruple aim, really trying to take all of that and add the other element of the social determinants of health and making sure, or health equity, if you will, as you heard Dr. Swift in one of the earlier education presentations call out. Uh, as a, uh, an emphasis and a need uh, to focus on for financial stability. Uh, certainly also financial incentives. So this is, again, the waiver, uh, uh, specific uh, language and rules that called out a emphasis for safety net organizations in particular to uh, uh, really join the wave of moving away from FIFA-service-based uh, payment systems to uh, performance-based, risk-based capitated models. And as I said, again, the waiver supporting that bridge for us.
Uh, the last is stakeholder feedback. I touched on this earlier. So really, you know, the revalidation that we should, uh, that our mission and vision and our values for the organization were still very salient, very, very important, uh, both internally and externally. Uh, maintaining and leveraging all the strengths that we have in cultural competency as a differentiator, as, as our organization. Uh, nurturing our teaching programs. Uh, and, um, and quite honestly, this was kind of the, the rarity for us that um, um, the obstacles that came out uh, of our analysis and our assessment were that they were mostly they were more internal than external. That while all these uh, challenges in our market were presented to us, that we enjoyed a high degree of support from all of the uh, other members of the delivery system uh, for our success uh, being very crucial and critical to the health and well-being of the community uh, writ large and the county writ large. And so we really needed to sort of harness that, harness that, and look at our own sort of challenges and figure out a way to. Uh, organize and partner internally to actually leverage that that uh, support that we enjoy. So, uh, so again, the the movement is that we we're not changing our mission. We are still about caring, healing, teaching, and serving all. But we may be changing how we do that again. So, um, we thought a picture paints. A, uh, sure. With regard to just. The strategic repositioning, and I, of course, did provide feedback, and I know that um, one or two of my colleagues on the Alameda Healthcare District Board did as well. Great. Um, but the the thing that that I didn't see that the strategic repositioning it's been illustrated um, more than once in my three years on this board is the expansion of the system, it, especially with regard to Alameda and San Leandro hospitals, and the strategy around ensuring that the the historical and traditional populations that used those services at those hospitals were um, incorporated, included, encompassed in the strategic plan and not, I, I, I do see and believe and wholeheartedly support the, the focus on um, financial sustainability and um, ensuring that, that um, the, the better he better health, better health care, and lower cost, et cetera, the 1115 waiver. But that leaves out, uh, and I provided this feedback myself in the strategic planning process, mm -hmm. it, 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 it may leave out some of the, um, the historical populations, the, the, the patients and um, providers even who were part of San Leandro and Alameda hospitals. So. Yeah. I appreciate you pointing it out. I, uh, I think um, uh, hopefully uh, you'll hear more about that as we, I'm just yeah. Now is, and we'll I'll, I don't have a problem, but I just want right. to do that. But I, but I do want to call out that, that our plan uh, does, was focused on, and, and hence my earlier words, that there is a emphasis because it is core to our mission as a system and, and uh, all is sort of validated by those who support us that we are uniquely uh, positioned to serve the uh, historically underserved. Uh, but it is not the exclusive thing that we do. That notwithstanding, even for those populations that we serve uh, that aren't um, sort of prototypical historically un underserved, uh, the way in which we serve all people or all, all, all people throughout the county, uh, we want to move towards a process that's actually a thoughtful, uh, in some ways, uh, uh, risk-based, value-based model that will inure to anybody irrespective of whether they happen to be a capitated life for which we serve or not, and we're serving them in some tangential fashion. So so I, I, it, it is there. Uh, it, is, uh, it is probably a fair... Uh, uh, um, 
conclusion that it is a, a uh, not an equal part of the overall plan, but it, I, I hope you'll appreciate that. Well, and it, it has, part. and maybe my point is more that it, ha it wasn't recognized as part of the um, the foundation for the for the strategic planning because the in the past also along with the the inclusion of San Leandro and Alameda, those hospitals are um, DSH hospitals, and those hospitals also are serving a somewhat. Um, differently capitated, I guess you could say, or differently reimbursed population, not just um, commercial. I'm, I'm thinking more of the Medicare population. Mm -hmm. And so that's um, certainly, I know that you've thought a lot about this, and I know that your predecessor did as well, and, and mm -hmm. that was part of the incentive to add those hospitals to the system. And yes. so I think that I'm just pointing out that, that, that it wasn't voiced, and I guess I'm adding that particular consideration to the, the the foundation for the strategic plan. I think it's there kind of underlying it a little I bit. I get you. Okay, cool. Well, thank you. And we'll, you know, if there's an opportunity or a way in which we can further call that out so that uh, others who might similarly wonder whether it's reflected in there, uh, we, we'll, we'll certainly do that. But it, I appreciate that you you know that you did and others uh, did as well, and it is, it is in fact, included. So thank you. Uh, this, this, the next two slides, uh, I'll, I'll um, um, zip through. I know you've seen these, but, you know, we think a picture is worth a thousand words, and so we just try to... Um, uh, try to paint a sort of a, 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 a now or current state, future state to, to just underscore some of the things that would be uh, uh, a difference uh, from the perspective of a patient who engages our system, a prototypical patient, if you will, who engages our system now versus what uh, we would envision in a successful execution of a strategic plan uh, and the likes of what we're describing to you, uh, how they would engage the system. So uh, this is a 55-year-old, uh, uh, I'm going to say 55-year-young uh, uh, gentleman uh, who has uh, uh, a, a medical history with a, uh, uh, hypertension and diabetes, uh, two chronic conditions that certainly if not controlled will put him at risk of heart attack and stroke. Uh, struggles to make in, ends meet and frequently runs low on money for things like food near the end of the month. So in some cases, some reflection of a typical patient that we see in our system. And in the current state, what you'll see is there's, there's some challenging things and there's still some good things that actually currently occur. So this individual current state might uh, be unable uh, to get an appointment in our primary care clinics because we're oversubscribed or under-resourced to have to wait a long time on a wait list to get an appointment several months out. Uh, may need to engage the system through the ED uh, when he needs things like medication refills, uh, frequently out of medications because of the hassle uh, involved in spending time in it. Uh, a, uh, a impacted emergency room, uh, but but in the course of doing that, actually we we do have resources like health advocates now that we would actually connect the patient with and find out other sort of social needs that the patient might be challenged with and uh, work with that individual to do uh, to meet some of those needs and to try to mitigate some of those uh, uh, challenges before they uh, exacerbate to full on problems. Uh, but still, uh, because of you know the, the the fragmented way in which we're caring for him, might end up being hospital lies for an avoidable um, um, uh, complication and, and, and that um, in the event of that hospitalization or in the course of it may end up suffering some other sort of personal uh, challenges like making um, uh, paying bills and things like that. Uh, the person is already living with a friend, worried about future housing, lack of income, and, and is overwhelmed as, as you might expect. And we characterize this as, you know, 
uh, an episodic system, certainly still heavily on the reactive side, though still uh, a robust reaction, and a bit of a band-aid of sorts through use of ED visits, hospitalization, food insecurity, and homelessness. So just flashing forward in the future, what we'd, what we'd hope to happen through a uh, successful implementation of the plan is that uh, – uh, this gentleman is proactively contacted by our wellness centers. Uh, once we get him assigned to us from a health plan or from the county indigent program, uh, and we call him in and say, let's do a health assessment where we do a full on profile of your health and social needs. We assign you to a patient, uh, a primary care provider and a team of individuals who are responsible for your care. Uh, so we're not waiting for you to show up in the ED. Uh, you're identified through that risk assessment as a rising risk. So you're not quite high risk yet, uh, because you're, you're your conditions are in check, but we need to make sure that those risk factors are addressed. Uh, we use uh, our mid-level providers and alternative um, alternate providers like coaches and um, uh, other providers to introduce you to an EHR where you can see your own records through a patient portal. We uh, teach you how to communicate with the team effectively and in a timely fashion that doesn't necessarily involve a visit. Uh, we uh, pair you with a clinical pharmacist who's a part of that team to coach you on medication adherence so we can keep you your uh, conditions under, under control. And uh, we do an e-consult in the card which this is one of those things that we can we can do today. It's growing, uh, but we could do that and prevent a, a specialty referral and another visit that might be an inconvenience to, uh, uh, for the patient. Uh, again, health advocates, we expect to continue and uh, be available as a resource, and so we would use that to connect them. And we'd also connect them uh, potentially with a housing agency, perhaps even through the whole person care uh, pilot and some of the work that's been done in partnership with the county there. Uh, we put them with a nutritionist uh, that we might actually have. This is a vision uh, in a local grocery store that helps with food selection and making sure that uh, the, the diet is right for uh, is medical complications or medical risk. and uh, uh, educates him to do, be able to do this himself. Um, we uh, put him into, and he willingly joins, a, uh, a support group that helps him. Uh, this is for Latino men at a local church. Uh, so it's strengthening that partnership with non-traditional partners and learns and shares with, from others with similar challenges. Uh, he may have actually also been engaged and heard about our um, uh, uh, job skills training programs in, in the county and could land a job with us as a patient navigator. So then uh, giving him a stable income, giving him insurance, giving him the ability to actually care for himself and not to be at the end of the uh, delivery system uh, in the way that we described before. So we described this model as a more proactive, decentralized, and coordinated model that involves us not doing everything but partnering with people more tightly to make sure that the needs are being met uh, for, for all of our patients in this in this type of manner. So our mission ha has that, you know, about equity. Mm -hmm. So I just want to know where, because this proactive thing really triggered that for me. In case of disparities that we see in our county, these are not natural, right? So often these disparities occur because of systems or structures or practices and policies in place, some of them overtly, but some of them invisibly perpetuating, uh, you know, differentials. Mm -hmm. And so when we have... Um, so using IT data for disaggregation of data to see, you know, how do, when we talk about this whole zip code, your, you know, zip code is more important than your genetic code, and that's all lovely, and it's a good buzzword to use, but how does that translate at the granular level? You can use IT data 
to show that, oops, you have this zip code, you have a greater risk for asthma, you have a greater risk, and how do you proactively do that? But unless it's embedded, these equity principles where you see every decision you make, who is being who's benefiting with this decision the most, yes. who's most negatively affected. Using that lens over and over again in, your, in that proactive thing, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen because we all believe we are colorblind. We all believe every patient matters and each uh, provider is doing his or her best to give everybody the treatment. But when you have limited resources and and, you know, finite resources. Mm-hmm. When you target it towards the folks who are most in the margins, everybody benefits with that. You sure. know, it's not just those. So I just want to make sure those, you know, there's so much devil in the details and the proactive reaching out. Yeah. So I hope. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, being the, the notion of being a population health manager really does, uh, uh, when we get into capitating for a group of lives, uh, we, uh, there, there is a, you know, that creates a universe of individuals who will, uh, who will have, who, with whom we'll have an exclusive responsibility to meet all of their needs. It doesn't mean we need to provide all of those things, but we need to be purposefully planning for them in a way that actually does promote wellness and, and encourages them uh, and enables them, I should say, to, to uh, uh, address some of their needs uh, in a much more successful way. Uh, it does, and I don't want to uh, take away from the population health group that will uh, um, come after me, but they will be talking about ways in which that the, the factors that we'll look at in a health assessment that um, uh, a allow us to risk stratify people won't just be things like, you know, what is your individual situation, but it could be, where do you live and what do we know about your area that might actually be uh, things that put you at greater risk for food insecurity or, um, um, you know, uh, safety and things like that, where then we are through a, a different infrastructure looking at what do we know about the network out there that would put the right resources at your disposal for you to address those things in a successful way? Again, not that we would go upstream and necessarily do all those things, uh, but we would be partnering with people to make sure that for those lives that we are connected with, we are actually doing that for them. And then to your other point about making sure that we're responsible about the resources, we will then have the the uh, wherewithal and the skill to be able to say, there are going to be some patients who engage our system, whether it's through the specialty services, where they're referred or they come into the ED, and we discover, because we have the ability to do this and the knowledge on how to do this, that they're actually a part of another network that's doing this exact same thing. So we don't, um, for lack of a better expression, squander the resources or uh, uh, duplicate efforts that are being done elsewhere because historically as a safety net, we do that for everyone. We try to make sure that those individuals get connected to the area where their resources are actually being covered so that they can actually get those services in that way while we preserve um, what resources we have to to, um, take care of those individuals that we're distinctly and uh, exclusively responsible for um, uh, a little bit more robustly. So so there'll be a sort of, you know, an iterative uh, process here, and uh, this won't happen overnight. You'll see that as we talk about. Um, we have this sort of phase into three kind of buckets, if you will, uh, but we'll certainly be moving in this direction, and, and there's a lot more details, as you say, into how we might do this. Um, Delvecchio, this is Jim. Hi. Um, so um, I I, I love the vision. I love it. Um, I'm. Uh, that's an awful lot of work to do in three to five years. Agreed. 
And I, I guess I would just um, wonder as you're going through, I mean, and maybe we'll see more of this later, but I, my initial reaction is uh, that's, you know, people have been trying to do things like this for an awful long time. It, it sounds great. It is hard. Yes. It is really hard. And so I'm concerned is, you know, you know, is, is three to five years and are you setting the expectation too high? Yeah, uh, it's a it's a great question. I think you will hear more. I'll say uh, just uh, briefly that uh, we we are. I, I don't want to suggest at all that we're not concerned about this. Um, we mm-hmm. believe that we've measured it in a way that uh, gives us the best shot at being successful. We have done a, a you know a. a, a, a fair amount, though there's more to do of homework of similar organizations like ours that have been able to uh, make significant strides in this uh, area over the course of a period of three years or so. Uh, We'll be Mm -hmm. continuing to study uh, those examples uh, in more depth to uh, make sure we get the right learnings and, you know, hopefully even uh, avoid some of the, the, maybe the pitfalls that they experience in moving uh, um, in this direction that we want to go in. And then lastly, um, uh, you know, we, I, I want to say we didn't choose three to five years because uh, we wanted to uh, be uh, in any way uh, punitive of ourselves or gluttons for pain. But, you know, really uh, the waiver is the impetus for us to really try to accelerate our efforts and, quite honestly, the call to arms for, for us. I hate to say it that way, but uh, maybe the, the burning platform, I'll say, uh, for us to really uh, try to work on uh, in a very uh, quick fashion some of those internal um, uh, nuances that we have that would actually confound our ability to move expeditiously here. So uh, I think the the firepower that we have around the table um, gives me a little bit uh, more hope um, and and confidence that we can actually pull this off. Uh, but I, I you know your 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 global concern is uh, is probably shared with every everyone in this room uh, um, uh, that that we're mindful of and we're really we're going to be mindful of as as we keep uh moving in this direction um okay well um (laughs) it's easy for us to say yes it's hard for you to do it so okay (laughs) thank you thanks for the answer thank you jim uh not only and and, you know and, and, and the thing is i don't want to throw cold water on stuff i just want to be you know it's it's better to be um uh, have have a, have a great vision that you um, that you get done early than have a great vision that you get done late. So understood. Uh, we will uh, uh, we'll talk about this more at the end, but you know, this, uh, you'll see that the next steps are for us to do a lot of detailed business planning, uh, and we're going to be bringing that back to you because that's where we get into uh, much greater detail around what we're, particularly in the first year, we're, uh, where we're foundational, how, how we are going to... Uh, uh, structure our, and uh, uh, fuel our ability to move in this direction. And so uh, hopefully both through our efforts to do that and our own confidence that we'll gain through that work, sharing it with you, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get a greater sense of confidence as well uh, about okay. you know, our, our, where we are with this. We'll look forward to that. Okay. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I'm going to move to another trustee at, the, at this point. Maria? Um, so I think I want to explain my comments that are going to come up further okay. ahead um, by saying the following. Um, let's be mindful that the sizable number of entrants into healthcare as a result of ACA are Latinos and African Americans. And one of the things 
they, they were truly benefactors of the Affordable Care Act because they now have access. And so when I think of population health, the lens through which I need to see that is that we are sensitive to population demographics mm -hmm. that are going to be distinctly unique for our community. Mm -hmm. And so I'm struck by a couple of places where we are not even using the word diversity or inclusion. Those two words are not here. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want it to come across as a rant, but I'm going to just keep bringing it up where I see sure. an opportunity to be more specific about the way in which we carry out this vision that will reflect the true dynamic nature of population health as it should be. So um, I'll stop there and say there's a couple of places where I think there are opportunities to be more specific mm -hmm. about what kind of workforce, what kind of training, what kind of communication going out to the community. And it's not here, so I respect that it might be somewhere, but I think at this level we need to see it. Absolutely. So, so I'll, I'll call it out. Actually, thank you for calling it out. Uh, you will you will hear some uh, nods to it in in a uh, uh, couple of comments that will be made later. Uh, but you're right; the, the the depth of it is not. You don't see it here. Uh, again, the the detailed planning, particularly as um, so we have we have six strategic business units, and we have the support services, which is the underlying infrastructure of finance, HR, uh, quality, strategy, um, uh, operations that will undergird this. Uh, that group is not just focus on how they uh, resource, support, and enable the uh, the goals of each of the strategic business units, but how they do that, and and a lot of that is predicated on our uh, what we're what we've come to adopt as uh, the terminology is anchor mission. So understanding our role as an economic engine in the community, and also understanding that uh, uh, furthermore to to how that drives in how we source uh, for resources, how we source for employment, how we support um, training and development. Uh, people in the community to come into our workforce as well as people who are already in our workforce to progress along a career trajectory. So so that group will be looking at some of the details and that will involve some of the um, uh, continued discussions with the workforce, frontline workforce and labor partners around how we how we partner in areas of focus to make that happen. Uh, but you're right, it is not, the, the, that level of detail is not here yet. Um, it will come later uh, with the business planning but but I hope you'll what you'll hear is the nods to that that it is in fact a direction that we have heard that we believe is central to this and and uh, we'll, we'll want to make sure it's included in this okay all right I'm, I'll probably I'll try to speed up here uh, but just because I want you to hear from the, the dynamic cast that we have here. Uh, so what you see in this uh, particular slide is really that the, the mission at the bottom is still the same. The vision at the top is still the same. The, the, the main change here is the strategic direction here where we, where we say we're transitioning from a fragmented uh, delivery system to a population health management organization uh, and still working along the same sort of pillars to make sure that, because um, those same things are important, uh, they, they're a little different under a population health management framework, but 
access still important, sustainability obviously, integration in the community, experience of patients in our uh, delivery system, uh, or I should say integration with quality and other pieces, network with our community, and certainly workforce to uh, uh, just harken back to the last comment. Um, this is just taking that same sort of lens of, uh, I shared earlier the picture of the patient uh, uh, vantage point of the, uh, the now and later. This is the now and later from a systemic perspective. So business units, current structure, uh, just a few here, business units predicated on site-based structure, uh, IT infrastructure and other support challenges, a lack of a system of care development, uh, an episodic and fee-for-service uh, uh, base uh, uh, delivery model. Two, a desired future state where our business units are derived from core services that are integral to population health management, uh, a strong infra infrastructure and support services that assist the business units with their respective goals, a specific strategy to improve the population, uh, population's health. Uh, key strategies, um, uh, just want to point out a couple here uh, that we talked about supporting this culture of accountability. And, and we talked about this a lot. Uh, this accountability um, uh, that we refer to here is multifactorial. So it's accountability as a leadership to the workforce, it's accountability as a delivery entity to the patients we serve, it's accountability as a economic engine to the community that, that um, uh, is a part of, uh, that of which we are a part, right? And we want to create measurable goals over the next three to five years, and you'll see uh, a bit of a sample. We haven't uh, uh, landed on these yet because there's continued robust discussion and the business planning that will actually um, uh, really solidify these, uh, but we'll, you'll see sort of a, 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 a bit of a direction marker of, of where they'll go uh, or where they're likely to go. Uh, to establish foundational competencies and infrastructure in key areas of care delivery, uh, to develop vi viable finance, financing contracts that support population health, uh, that strengthen our partnership with area uh, healthcare and non-healthcare providers, and to coordinate as a system, uh, not as a discrete set of uh, um, um, entities that integrate services across our continuum of care. Uh, really quickly, the business units, which they'll go into detail on. Uh, this is the; these are the uh, the six strategic business units, um, uh, all listed here. I. I uh, you'll hear about each one of them uh, in due turn here. Um, I'll just uh, point out that uh, sort of in the middle, the sort of pieces of them, uh, of the delivery uh, um, system are ambulatory, so pre-hospitalization. Uh, there's acute, which is a hospitalization, and it's post-acute. You'll notice that there are elements of the delivery model here that we have, and there are elements that we don't actually have for which we actually refer patients um, and or partner with people to provide to patients. And uh, the thrust here is not to suggest that, uh, that we will actually develop and or build all of these things. In some cases, planning might suggest that that is... Um that that's uh, the right way to go because there's a uh, dearth in the community. But in many cases, uh, you'll see uh, the note at the top here that says denotes partnership opportunities. Uh, AHS does not need, in our opinion, to own all of the sites of care. But we do need to be purposeful, strategic, tactical, and saying to our partners, are you sharing the same sorts of uh, uh, visions around access, quality, diversity and inclusion, other sorts of imperatives around uh, what we think are important to make sure that the population is able to uh, be well, take care of themselves, and uh, um, 
uh, provide for their families and their communities. So uh, that, those are the models. This is just sort of taking a different slice of that and just showing you from this year's budget perspective, um, the overarching uh, uh, business unit of population health is a new entity that will uh, structure that will really be looking at uh, uh, what we're envisioning right now is looking at not just uh, the types of uh, capabilities that we need to be able to manage patients as they um, seek and source care throughout the community uh, and being able to sort of uh, uh, make sure that that access is provided at the right levels, that we fully know what those patients are challenged with, um, uh, both health-wise and social determinant-wise. Uh, we're looking at um, uh, taking a group of lives for which we're already either delegated or uh, capitated through, um, uh, um, uh, what am I trying to say, the, the, the health pack, thank you. Thank you. Health Pack, uh, Medi-Cal, uh, whether it's Alliance or Anthem, um, uh, and then expanding from there to other markets like Medi-Cal and, and the commercial lives. Um, we, th this shows you just uh, going up, increasing acuity. So we, we expect to uh, invest in and, and create cap capacity for us to increase our ambulatory visits so that we're getting access for patients uh, that we would, we would gradually be capping, uh, capitating for. We won't be capitating this year uh, any more than we are already have, which is uh, exclusively health pack right now, um, uh, but we will be working on building the access and the delivery capacity to get more people in ambulatory care in our wellness centers, in our, um, our, our 1206B clinic out in Alameda, and other sort of uh, delivery um, uh, um, areas for primary and specialty. Uh, we'll be looking at, uh, you see, relatively flat uh, growth in behavioral health, and this is not just, uh, as you'll hear later, um, uh, acute at um, John George, but also so in the ambulatory setting as well. Uh, inpatient, uh, we see a little bit of opportunity for growth, but also a lot of opportunity to standardize across the system. Uh, ED, we actually are, um, I should say, anticipating that uh, we would actually experience a slight decline in uh, volume across the system and utilization, and that would actually be sort of supported by a goal where we're getting greater ambulatory access for patients uh, that might avoid uh, um, uh, or prevent avoidable ED uh, visits. And then post-acute, uh, likewise, a small uh, growth uh, as we try to get patients out of the acute setting as uh, quickly as possible into a lower level of care as their conditions might warrant and avoid readmissions and other sorts of things that, uh, uh, for which we would be penalized. And that would not be in the best interest of the patient. I should have led with that. Thank you. Uh, and so this is just taking, uh, you, you saw, those of you who are on finance committee, uh, saw uh, um, our CFO's uh, efforts to sort of uh, turn uh, the uh, former sort of reporting model on its head and say that as we are looking at the, the delivery system through these, um, these strategic business units, this is how it might shape, uh, how it may shape out. So you see population health, being a, a, a earlier group that we're starting, and this is not finalized by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, population health being a, a growing group that we'd actually do a lot of uh, oversight for, but uh, may also involve a lot of contracting to actually get uh, some of the technical expertise for which we don't currently have that will help us to move more expeditiously in this direction. Uh, AHP really getting our provider delivery uh, um, um, uh, structure and infrastructure uh, a little uh, more discreet and able to manage it that way, ambulatory and likewise for the rest of them. Uh, some of these numbers, may, there may be some rounding here that's a, a little different, but it's by and large what comes from the uh, budget. That's correct. Most of them are existing. I think there may be a, a 
few uh, subtleties, but but they are things that were captured in in the budget. Yeah, this uh, this as, is our as budget reflected. as we would mm -hmm. present it today. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And with that, alas, I will turn it over to my peers, and uh, we have uh, Dr. Minnie Swift and Dr. David Moskowitz. I'll I'll be your Vanna White, so just tell me when it right. uh, page. And, and actually, tell back here one this Jim one quick question. Um, looking at the breakdown, um, which is, I think it's very helpful to look at it, um, you know, clearly there's some uh, pretty big operating losses in ambulatory and um, you know, provider delivery. And, you know, it, it may well be that there are parts of the organization that simply are going to be losing money no matter what. But um, I hope in the process of doing this that, you know, that's one of the things that's looked at is, you know, to what extent can uh, the economic efficiency of, you know, of, of these uh, different operations be improved. Uh, thank you for that. Because that's obviously, obviously going to help. I mean, that, that's going to help everything. <laughs> that's going to help everything. Um, and, you know, in fact, you know, if you're economically efficient, you tend to be operationally efficient as well. Absolutely. Yeah, this is David. I, I wouldn't get too hung up on the... Uh uh, you know, the <clears throat> income at that point, because we, we haven't finished all the allocations. I think this is more intended to look at the uh, operating expense line so you can get a feeling for the the magnitude of the size of each of these business units. All right. Okay. I'll get excited later. <laughs> but fair, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah, sure. Thank you. you know, it's a, 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 a pertinent point. Yeah. Okay. So, Dr. Swift, Dr. Moskowitz. Great. Thank you very much. Um, so, uh, we're going to tag team on the four slides we have here. Um, so the, the core function of the population health management uh, SBU, as Delvecchio has alluded to, is to improve the triple aim, uh, improved clinical outcomes, uh, improved uh, processes of care, and reduce costs for a defined population. Um, and to do this by uh, redesigning how care is delivered, coordinated, and financed. Um, the planning group for this SBU identified three critical success factors that the organization must execute on in order for a transformation to a population health uh, manager to be successful. Um, those are to, uh, first of all, address the uh, capacity um, uh, mismatch of ambulatory to assigned lives. Um, second, to uh, reach financial goals that are uh, required by industry standards and, in fact, regulatory requirements in order for us to engage in capitated contracts. Um, and finally, to carve out adequate resources to implement a really robust change management plan as we pivot to this uh, very different way of delivering, uh, coordinating, and financing care. Next slide. Our SBU, um, in the beginning, it became very clear that we really need to be very specific about which definition of population medicine, population health, population health management we are, in fact, using for AHS. You can see here that the concept of the triple aim is incorporated into our definition, and we've specifically called out the role of contracts and the incentives and opportunities that those create for managing this population. Um, before we move on to the next slide, I wanted to review some of the core principles that the SBU, this SBU, um, uh, came up with. Um, this approach, population health management, is an approach that will touch every corner of AHS if we execute it correctly. And inside that envelope sits squarely in the center the principles of health equity. 
the strategies, the tools, those principles of stratification, standardization, looking at your workforce, those are all in the center of population health itself. Um, some of the key guiding principles um, you'll be familiar with. It calls that we, while we're committed to the care of each individual that we're responsible for, um, we become very clear as to what it is we are responsible for and if we're not contractually responsible for them, who else is? One example that is taking place every day on the Highland campus, I experienced this um, when I was on the inpatient service in May. We had a patient come in through our cardiac services, got through the cath lab, came up to the inpatient service, and we knew at the time he was a Kaiser patient. And we were quickly able to coordinate with Kaiser uh, the overall care plan and delineate which tests and treatments we were responsible for and while we moved him to that transition. And at one point, he would move to Kaiser. And in that scenario, you could see that we were taking care of the entire continuum of care, but very clear as to where those responsibilities lie. And I think as we move forward, we need to ensure that that is that ability to quickly recognize who is actually responsible for a patient and what are the components um, is going to be critical for us. Another guiding principle um, is that within these defined populations, we stratify and segment not only on clinical factors, which are key to that triangle that we're all familiar with, but also for socioeconomic factors. Um, and here again, the principles of health equity, um, you know, apply. Stratifying for um, food resources, workforce, uh, working resources, etc. Those things that you saw in the example. Um, in doing this, and particularly looking at the social determinants of health, we may need to leverage our existing resources. We may need to create additional linkages to those, to those services that we can't provide but that our patients need. Another guiding principle, we need to be able to forecast needs in advance. Currently, patients come to us and I think we do a great job getting organized, but a key to the principle of population health is being able to forecast the needs for the population that we are responsible for. Uh, Dr. Swift, mm -hmm. one of the questions that I have, in, and I suppose because of my previous background, um, these, these things always pop out for me, but um, when I think about the, that children are the largest population in this country who are in poverty, um, and we spend more money for people who are 65 and over than we do for, for children. The, the obvious is that we've got to make some shifts in, in, our, in our process. And while I recognize that um, our, uh, we may not, as you pointed out, be responsible for that piece, I, I would really very much like to make certain that there are conversations around those individuals who, in fact, have connections with children and that we're much more looking at a family process. So when you talk about food, et cetera, that it goes, that there's an understanding about the family and who's there. And um, I often find, because I know this from experience, that schools and school systems are completely outside of your thoughts. And so I really want to encourage that partnership as you move along in population health. Because you have talked about disparities, you have talked about uh, cultural diversity and all of those issues, and yet we do not talk about age and the needs of kids, particularly zero to five, 
And if we're ever to stop the health cycle, the poor health cycle, it has to start earlier. So I throw that out because I will be watching for that as we move along in a plan. Well, and let me just remind you that we don't have inpatient pediatrics, but we no. do have outpatient pediatrics. Uh, but, and I wasn't really thinking necessarily about our dealing with the children, but in the, in the non-health care provider group, we have to make a very conscious decision to make certain that when you are looking at all those issues that you had for the individual, that there is a connection to the family and and particularly to kids. And so I just, I do understand that. Absolutely. I, um, oh, go ahead. When you were... When you mentioned forecasting, how important it is to forecast what health needs would be, I was thinking, this, as um, Trustee Lawrence was, that things like cuts in um, school funding, elimination of school nurses, um, increases in, in um, use of EpiPens, increases in use of inhalers, things like that, that schools aren't equipped to take care of are those types of things that can be identified and forecast and meet the needs of our populations, especially in terms of kids coming from the same background. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. I have a comment as well, just as an illustration of how I'd like to see health equity more um, just brought out further. Mm -hmm. This definition of population health for AHS is beautiful, except I would somehow say at the end of that first sentence, uh, and lower total cost for defined populations to achieve health equity. Otherwise, again, I, I see a lot of um, use of this term and not enough definition behind it in the most broad sense that I need to see health equity and inclusion addressed. So I'm just going to wordsmith here and there where I see opportunities for us to be far more dramatic and determined and proactive about making that clear to our communities. Okay. Thank you. We'll, we will definitely take this back to our I'm SBU. I'm making notes for you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, just a few more guiding principles on the um, theme of opportunities for communities. Um, you know, one of the guiding principles, population health management provides an opportunity to support our anchor mission. Um, as we discussed in the January um, educational session, if $12,500 a year, if every increase by $12,500 a year in a household buys one year of life, then AHS has an opportunity to explore employment opportunities for the populations it serves. Um, and then the last principle is this, it's really important to underscore this, this alternative, this move to the alternative to the fee-for-service model. And while that seems challenging and burdensome, it is an opportunity to really examine um, an exciting new way of taking care of our population in a, in a comprehensive fashion. Um, I would like to move on to the strategic imperatives. And you can see there we've divided them into three buckets. The first two, culture change, what we're really talking about here is adopting the AHS way in terms of the tools that we use to promote change management and performance improvement. Um, you know, revisiting our lean journey, looking at our performance improvement tools, and standardizing the way in which we do that here at AHS. Um, 
standardization is key to improving outcomes for population health management and is key um, to achieving health equity. Second bucket is um, re you know, using predictive analytics, stratification, segmentation, and um, implementing population health management interventions based on that information so we can deploy precious resources to the populations that need it the most. <coughs> Lastly, we've called out some specific opportunities to shore up our infrastructure. The SBU believes that we do need a leader for population health and um, a small division or department. Other areas that would require some infrastructure shoring up are our informatics, our ability to provide that in analytics, um, pair management infrastructure, partner management, and definitely in the areas of workforce staffing models, standardizing roles, expectations, um, recruiting a workforce that looks like our populations. At the bottom of the slide, you can see a general timeline. Year one, um, we're hoping to establish a population health office and implement an education program for um, the organization as a whole so we can be very clear as to what it is we are trying to achieve, how we need to get there. Years two and three, we will be moving towards um, building that foundation so that we can actually improve health outcomes for the population. So this slide illustrates a, a future state um, once AHS has been able to successfully transform to a population health management organization. And I wanted to walk through some of the elements on this slide. Um, in this future state, data, uh, claims data, clinical data, operational data, and most certainly social determinants data will be aggregated in a data warehouse. Um, and this, this data will be uh, inform a risk stratification approach. Um, I, I want to call out risk stratification is not only a technical endeavor, but it's an adaptive endeavor, which requires um, lots of uh, stakeholder uh, involvement, uh, change management, um, and making a stratification scheme that is uh, uh, ag agreeable to multiple parties with, uh, with um, intersecting uh, interests. Um, and in, in risk stratifying a defined population, um, we, we've illustrated it here as three segments, high risk, rising risk, and low risk. Um, but I'd like you to all imagine um, finer segments within those strata. Um, and those segments can be defined as, as discreetly as African-American African men between the ages of 45 and 55 living in the census tract adjacent to International Boulevard and 98th. I think um, that's what you're getting at. Kim. And, and, and mm -hmm. in this future state, the data will, will, will tell us you know, who those patients are and what health outcomes they are at risk of, and by, by extension, which set of interventions they are most, uh, are most amenable to, to that, uh, to that uh, segment. Um, these, um, these sets of interventions um, will be deliberately designed uh, to be deployed against segments or strata of the population. Again, in these three broad categories, what we've described here are for high-risk patients, uh, intensive care coordination uh, and frequent touches through complex care management. For patients who are rising risk, who have chronic conditions that haven't yet triggered the adverse health outcomes, health coaching uh, to focus on self-management support um, 
through a robust primary care team uh, to include health coaches, nurses, and pharmacists. And for those healthy patients who are low risk, a proactive focus on prevention and wellness through uh, virtual visits, patient portals, and other uh, outreach attempts. And while these, um, while these sets of interventions are all robustly anchored in the patient's medical home and thus the ambulatory SBU, um, the entirety of, of, of the SBUs and um, AHS is, is aligned and oriented so that when and if a patient touches uh, that element of the system, um, care can be delivered in the most effective and efficient way, matching the right care with the right patient at the right so time. So in, in the practicality, do we have the technologies that allow us to do what you say? We're, we're, we're building towards that. Um, the, the, the data warehouse um, is, is now being, uh, is being built. It has, it has m more robust data feeds growing day by day. Alfie Levy can, can speak more, more in the details of that. Um, and we're, um, we're, uh, there, there's other, um, there's other uh, partnerships uh, with, with organizations to, to get more data and more data infrastructure. We realize that the IT um, component of of risk stratifying uh, is is a, is a large part of what this uh, SBU will need to grapple with. Mm -hmm. Do you have a timeline in mind? How is this yeah. high level? So yeah. first year. So just uh, the first year, really, foundation also really trying to establish the office, uh, do some of the robust education to the uh, the entirety of the workforce about what we're doing and how I, we... I suppose, excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but um, I, I was more, I was talking more about the ability of our IT systems to be able to disaggregate and to collect the data that we know is, I mean, I think you've heard two other board members talk about yeah. how important that is, and I just am trying to think through knowing the difficulty we're having now, what we see on the horizon of being able to to produce that. Yeah, we're, we we're, want uh, to do it, but are we, we're, how close are we? We're evaluating population health management systems right now and could probably have one in place within three months. We're not going to build it, really? build it ourselves. We're going we're gonna to release it from a company that yeah, does sure. this, and it'll come along with the uh, clinical protocols and risk stratification tools and everything that we need. Oh, that's and then it simply downloads the claims data from the payers, HealthPAC, Alameda Alliance, whoever, whoever we contract with. That's great to hear. Yeah. Pre-managed DD. No, no, it's different. Okay. Yeah, yeah pre-managed already in, but this is one that the uh, uh, leadership and a lot of our clinicians have been looking at for quite a while and uh, actually uh, have been talking to some of the peers around and getting generating some buzz or, or uh, energy, too. They think that, you know, our ability to do this in partnership with them would actually not just aid us, but aid them as well. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so now we'll move on to Health Partners. Uh, Dr. Nick Pernia uh, is here to talk about this particular business unit. Hello. Can you hear me? There we go. So um, Alameda Health Partners, uh, its mission is to provide Alameda Health Systems with the physicians and mid-levels to carry out all of its um, existing plans, necessary medical care, um, and the needs of the strategic business unit. Um, it has a couple of other secondary objectives that are critical, of course, to that mission, and that includes um, providing uh, true practice management to the physicians who, are, who work with Alameda Health Systems. Uh, providing practice optimization, um, practice infrastructure, and then um, allowing uh, Alameda Health Systems to um, 
become part of the capitated model and compete in the managed care market in a manner of which it's not able to do currently. Um, we have uh, seven strategic imperatives. Um, as that, uh, for the first year, our objectives um, are entirely based on creating infrastructure for the practice. So currently, um, it is a group of 11 physicians that is expected to grow to 19 or 20 by the end of the summer. Um, and we just finished uh, placing interim leadership and the next step is creating uh, committee infrastructure so that we can adequately vet incoming physicians, decide exactly um, what types of physicians uh, should become full-time members of AHP as opposed to contracted positions, affiliated positions, um, and deciding on the greater, greater needs. Um, in addition to this, uh, one of our very concrete objectives for the coming bid is to hire a chief of anesthesiology so that we can begin to build an anesthesiology department within AHP that will primarily serve Highland. And then um, a major objective also is to fix some of the long-term difficulties we've had with physician practices at Alameda Health Systems, which include things like physician billing, Speaking to uh, Mr. Luganani's concerns about our ability to offset the cost of providing health care, um, we've had great difficulties in the long term actually uh, receiving the professional billing uh, revenues that we should be able to receive. So Alameda Health Partners aims to directly uh, address this issue, and we have several projects uh, occurring currently that will help with this, including um, ing integrating a new um, billing system through Ingenious Medicine, Ingenious Med that uh, captures profis much more effectively than our old paper system. Um, we will also be redefining um, compensation models in the future. That is a long-term goal that will have some short-term metrics as well. So um, we are standing up a committee that will uh, investigate and have a look at what type of compensation model fits in best with our existing physician population, patient population, and the challenges of practicing here. And we'll help to align incentives with uh, the system's greater goals. Um, additionally, we have committees that are going to look at physician practices and assist physicians with infrastructure, which again is a long-term deficit um, that greatly needs attention and making sure the physicians have the type of resources they need to practice their fullest, which has lots of implications, but one of the central ones, of course, improving access and allowing us to improve efficiency. Um, especially with some of the existing challenges we have with IT infrastructure. Um, and then lastly, we're going to establish a uh, finance committee that's going to decide what type of contracts are appropriate for us to take on um, and ensuring that we have the physician resources and infrastructure to um, address some of the goals that could be part of some of these contracts. And, and I'm, for a point of clarification, you've written it, Provider delivery slash Alameda partners. So what you have said is related to all our providers? Uh, it will eventually. Or just, our, just the partners? So, um, just AHP. So currently, most of the projects um, only involve AHP physicians, but AHP is going to effectively act as a node that will incorporate our contracted physicians across the entire system, So, which allows us to participate in um, the managed care market much more effectively, but also hopefully will allow AHP to also participate in improving infrastructure and ensuring that even physicians who, for example, are part-time or are contracted with Al you know, working with Alameda Health System will have practices that function appropriately and that the infrastructure that is provided to them matches their needs. And it'll also include looking at the way that mid-levels are um, integrated into the practice as well and trying to take a thoughtful approach to that. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, just to pin to that next, it'll probably come up in the next group here. Great job. Uh, two things. One, I really wanted to underscore uh, this is just one example, but it all it, it 
filters throughout the SBU presentations that uh, I hope we heard that in year one, for example, the uh, issues around uh, profi billing uh, are issues that we currently have that we do see an opportunity uh, and a need, in fact, to make sure that we shore up. And so um, a lot of times in some of the feedback we heard from some of our partners were, this sounds great, we love it, it's all the right stuff. Sometimes we're concerned that anybody who's doing a strategic plan lose sight of what are currently ailing you and what we're sort of struggling with as we work with you. And we were purposeful in our first year to say we're not trying to, you know, shoot shoot for the stars right away, we recognize that there's a lot of infrastructural stuff that we need to continue to work on as we move in this direction. And so this sort of theme that you see in each one is the first year is foundational, second year is trans, uh, um, transitional, and the third year is transformational. So we kind of... Well, it, am I wrong in assuming that AHP will, the, the 19 doctors that are in that, in that partnership, um, will be taking the lead in in uh, in in these improvements and passing them on to the contracted doctors. Is that how this it, is intended to work? That's, a, that's exactly right. That's what he was saying. So, More or less, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I just didn't know who to yell at when we don't get the bills done right. And so... Sure. Lots of people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I'm good at yelling, too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And when we look at the, the timelines, so year one, year two, year three, we're on, kind of on the fiscal year track here. That's correct. Yeah. And, um, are the committees in place already? The member committees already have. Um, so uh, currently we are drafting the charters. The first draft of the committee charters went to the Ops Council, which is one of the existing committees. Okay. Um, so we hope to stand those up actually by um, August and then have full-time mem members of the committees too. You, you might also, as you go through this, think of ways in which you feel that your work can be communicated to the board. So we would like to make certain that we're following along with this. Um, four and a half years ago this started, and so it would be interesting to see the progress. Thank you. I'll take the moment. Uh, Dr. Pernier pointed out that we have established interim physician leadership. What he didn't point out is that he's that interim physician leadership. Oh, so uh, you, Gary? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. so he's 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 a, he's a person we, uh, you can yell at in, in addition to the rest of us. Uh, but he graciously stepped up to the plate and has been doing an uh, incredible job, and I want to uh, publicly thank him for that. Uh, he is on a timeline and, and keeps us honest that we need to establish that permanent leadership, and part of that transition is uh, – we are uh, all but certain that the executive director, which is administrative leader, uh, not the clinical leader, uh, will be starting uh, Monday, actually. So uh, uh, a lot of movement in that space in a large part due to the leadership of Dr. Pernia and the members of the Ops Council. So I want to thank them for that. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay. Uh, I want to move along to ambulatory clinics. I think that's Dr. Is, that's you two, right? Dr. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get uh, the, the teams mixed up sometimes. So uh, Dr. Mark Mouse and Dr. Palaf uh, Bavaria will talk to us about this particular SBU. So I'll start with the ambulatory clinics as both primary care clinics as well as specialty clinics. And the core function is to provide timely access and optimal patient experience to our patients in, in an integrated fashion between between primary care as well as specialty care. We had a great group that worked together. Our initial work was doing a SWOT analysis, and as you might expect, a long list of weaknesses complemented by a long list of opportunities. And, uh, and we took that and synthesized that uh, to our strategic initiatives. Next slide. <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to be brief. 
Um, so we really tried to hone the strategic imperatives in rank order of priority and what we needed to do to lay a foundation. I think the board's concerns that is this actually a doable plan in three years is very well taken. And certainly in my few years here, and I hear many years preceding it, we've been talking about access and talking about the same things over and over. And so I think we as a group, really informed obviously by the clinical leadership as well as the administrative leadership, wanted to fix the foundation because if we can't do that, we are going to be having the same conversation in three years. Um, so the first strategic imperative was really making sure that the number of clinics, both for primary care and specialty, that we have and the access that we have is sufficient to meet the needs of our patients, both from assigned lives as well as geographic coverage and including patient populations that are really suffering from poor access. In the short term, that means filling the existing space that we have, increasing to evening hours and weekend hours to maximize our current infrastructure. But in the long term, that probably also means expansion into specific geographic areas and growth in areas where where demand um, exceeds our current capacity, including in Oakland. For number two, we all recognize that we definitely need to redesign and develop all of the infrastructure and processes in ambulatory to provide higher quality, higher value care. Um, number one on the list, which we've been talking about for <laughs> months and months, is adopting standard practice for how we identify the PCP, or primary care provider for patients, and impanel patients. This has been the bane of my existence for the last two years, and I'm proud to announce that we actually have settled on a new process, and there's a work group that's actively putting in the workflows in place so that this issue should be fixed in the near future. And this is what underpins all of the population health objectives that the other group was talking about. Um, we obviously need to look at all the workflows. We have to enhance registration processes, improve the customer experience, and improve our billing processes as well, um, because similar to other areas, we are doing a lot more than what we're getting paid for, and we need to fix that. Um, we also need to look specifically at specialty. We can't provide all of the services, and I think we strategically need to look at which service lines need to grow, which ones maybe we can outsource or distribute to other parts of our system. Um, and then really coordinate with the inpatient side and the subacute <coughs> side as well so that we are care coordinating across the spectrum and getting patients back into primary care after they've had an acute visit. That's it. Great. <laughs> so I think the timeline piece of it, so obviously the first year is really fixing some of these foundational needs which are outlined in strategic imperative number two as well as some of the short-term access fixes. Um, for year number two, it's really looking at our PCMH model of care and we're fortunate in ambulatory at least that a lot of prime and the waiver is driving what we're going to be doing and how we're going to be doing it and the prime team was actively involved with the ambulatory SBU to make sure that every process that we are um, working on improving is also reflected in prime so that there isn't duplicate work happening and then for year three once we've achieved improvement in the foundation improvement in the processes we will be very well positioned to actually engage in population health. So how, how did you go about, um, w when you said you had your list of deficiencies and your opportunities, how do you go about sorting through what are going to make the biggest impact for, first? I mean, what, what was the process? So, so we were able to collect data, and some data that we've never seen before, like we noticed for building our primary care base, we're able to get data from the Alliance and show that some of the shifting in the population, which you heard earlier, is hitting South County. We're seeing growth in South County and real opportunity there. So a number of data elements we looked at as we went through the process. And, and of course, we 
I mean, there's experience in the room that sort of senses what are the real movers that are going to make both the providers more efficient as well as the organization more efficient. So those those were things that, that I think we brought as a team to the group. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Oh, sorry. And, you know, just what level of confidence or trepidation do you have in as you're redesigning the ambulatory, <laughs> there's a big onus on you to increase. There's the, we are pinning a lot on the ambulatory clinics uh, volume at, at when you're doing this kind of foundational work. So uh, we'll tell us that. what kind of... <laughs> so so no, no doubt it's a challenge. I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe we had the right people in the room, uh, and we do. And we have some really good providers. Uh, we have a lot of handcuffs, and we want to break free of those, and we want to actually move into the direction of, and the population health move is a, is a real challenge. It changes the doc from being an exam room and feeling responsible for everything, and then sometimes being responsible for everything, mm -hmm. to being a team leader mm -hmm. in an integrated model where the population health helps drive what we're doing. That's a, that's a lot of transformation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not going to happen overnight. Of course, we're going to look for, for early adopters and key folks that stand as informal leaders as, as, as both providers uh, as, as well as other support staff to sort of lead that as we, as we develop that. So. Mm -hmm. And I think I had the privilege of presenting to this board some of the improvements that we've been doing in case like so I have no doubt that we can accomplish this. And really what is so exciting about this is, you know, it's taking what we've been doing on sort of a micro clinic level and putting the weight of the entire C-suite, the organization, and the strategic plan behind that type of improvement process. Thank you. Please come back and keep us informed because as this is happening, we want to be able to support this part in every way. We're not going to let them do. get too far away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so moving to the next business unit, acute care. We have Dr. Rachel Baden and uh, Kinsey Rickle. Rachel and I will tag team in presenting the acute care uh, SBU. Um, the acute care SBU... K Kinsey, you'll have to get closer to your microphone. Thank you. The, the acute care SBU, will, which includes trauma, ED will provide full range of acute services um, to AHS target markets, the, while actually also consolidating services where it's appropriate, expanding and growing services, and, um, and, and partnering with others to provide certain services. This, by doing this, we'll be able to improve um, <clears throat> performance and quality, um, safety, efficiency, and cost. So I'm going to walk you through some of our strategic imperatives, the first of which is to enhance basic operational infrastructure across the system in the following competencies and processes. We foresee the need for system-level bed management capabilities, financial and utilization reporting, monitoring and quality monitoring. Uh, defining clinical standards across the system in the way of order sets, clinical protocols, treatment guidelines, so we standardize care. Documentation and billing support for providers, which I know has been mentioned in many SBUs, but it's re very relevant in this one as well. And then developing AHS clinical standards through a single AHS practice council for the inpatient units. 
We see the need to integrate workforce across the system um, through an integrated organizational structure. For nursing, we want to integrate magnet standards with the operational plan for this um, business unit. We want to establish management infrastructure in the way of, again, an inpatient operations council, system care management plan, and a system quality and performance improvement process and tools to provide physicians, providers, staff with very uh, real-time uh, detail about their performance in the way of dashboards. And I think th the last part of this first um, imperative is to integrate and align our medical staff. And I just want to stress this because I think this is crucial for being successful um, in this business unit. We need to establish some change management for our medical staff across all um, of the system, um, including um, San Leandro, Alameda, and the Highland campuses. Example of what you mean by that? I think in order to be successful in the acute business unit and probably across the system, I think we need to integrate our medical staffs um, more fully in the way of communication, sharing practices, um, and so we're aligned. And I, I don't, we're not there yet. Okay, thank you. So, so would that include, when you think of change management and development for the medical staff, does that include cross-cultural education? Does that include um, more of those skill sets around cross-cultural communication to work with diverse populations. Absolutely. Okay, I, think we, I think we know that our populations um, okay, in the acute setting are different across the system. And I think in order to fully function as a system, we need to understand what the providers at Alameda are facing and the providers, and that may be very different than the, what the providers at Highland, on the Highland campus are facing. In fact, I'm sure it is. But I think for, in order for us to be fully functional, I think we need to understand each other a little bit better. True. I, I just, again, this is another place where there is an opportunity to um, be more direct and specific about the importance of staff understanding uh, what is effective cross-cultural medicine mm -hmm. so that we don't have medical errors, so that people don't get turned away because they're not feeling engaged or understood. So I, I, I know I'm on a rant. I'm sorry. You're not on a I'm rant. making a list. You're not on a rant. There, there are just some real key opportunities to make this issue far more uh, clear and direct, and I think we need to do that. I, I agree with you. I think that it's cross-cultural amongst providers, but also with providers and our community yeah. and our patients. So I think right. it, it's cross-cultural on a lot of levels. A lot of levels. So, it, it, This is the first iteration of a right. published document for, for our strategic plan, and I think what you're hearing from the board is that as you go back and you look at elements in this, that changing some wording, because this will in fact be distributed throughout our community, to change the wording so that it is calling to attention the issues that we're raising here about the sensitivity, the training, the understanding of the, the cultural sensitivities of the uh, community we work with would be really helpful. So I don't know who's taking notes here, but okay, uh, that, that I think would be real key, and you've heard it a couple, three or four times here. So. I ask you. I ask you for that. Thank you. I'm sorry. Please go ahead. No, that's okay. We appreciate your. We appreciate your feedback. The well, can I, um, ask um, Kinsey, w with regard to our um, our journey to magnet, how isn't that a, a big part? Isn't the cultural competency and um, and cultural um, cross cultural um, attention part of the magnet? 
Yes, and actually it's part of the nursing professional practice model that we deliver the care in a, in a, in a culturally sensitive um, manner where we <clears throat> address different cultures and be able to mm -hmm. connect with the patients based on their culture. Yes. So I guess, I mean, to, to the points that have been made, if we can just in, point that out or... or or ensure that it's it's um, apparent in here. I see that we are um, nursing integrate magnet standards in the workforce here, so mm -hmm. that that is a, a place and an opportunity to address the issues that, that the board's concerned about. Thank you. Second strategic. The second strategic imperative is to develop and implement optimal acute services in AHS that address growth under population health management. So we see the need to consolidate services and programs as appropriate to improve clinical quality throughput, capacity utilization, and cost efficiency. We want to identify programs and service growth opportunities through a process to either grow in AHS or work with community partners to achieve goals. And lastly, enhance the outpatient interventional programs to offer more focused use of the inpatient acute services. The last strategic imperative under acute is more of a placeholder because we couldn't really define um, a specific place in any other business unit, but it's actually incredibly important to our overall mission, um, and, uh, and that is to provide oversight to the AHS teaching programs. So this includes all teaching programs for nursing, physician assistants, pharmacists, podiatrists, um, our medical residency programs, our surgical residency programs, our pipeline programs, in a way that um, we continue to support those programs. Um, and, um, and I think diversity plays into that as well. We want to continue to attract um, trainees that represent our population of, in our community and then keep them in the system thereafter. But will the components of LEAN be used? You know, I, I think that that's such yes. an effective model. And so I didn't see that mentioned somewhere. I think I saw it somewhere in this thing, but... I think we had it somewhere. Okay. So the lean components it will be part of are the, thread yes, throughout the performance the improvement. Yes. Okay. It'll be pervasive. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And in, um, in in the first quarter of fiscal year 2017, the SPU will convene key stakeholders um, to start planning for and and making recommendations for the future footprint of AHS um, acute services. You can see a general timeline at the bottom that you have, um, you have seen the same timelines, not the same content, but the same timelines in the previous SBUs. So the first year we'll concentrate on building the infrastructure, the foundation. The second year um, we will move to, although we'll continue to build the infrastructure, we'll move to um, system transformation. Here is where some, some services will be consolidated, where it's appropriate, where we will grow some services, and where we'll partner with others to provide services. The um, third year is then transformation, uh, the system transformation to population health. Here is where we will um, have different uh, financing models to manage those populations. Okay. And that concludes our Thank you. Our slides. Uh, because the chair has the obligation to make certain that we're moving along in a, in a manner so everybody can go home, um, I, I'm going to 
turn to you and see what components you need. We, we really need to make certain that um, folks who spent their evening here can, can get a chance to present, but there may be sections that we can wait until another time to, to do. So yeah, can I, you? I appreciate that, uh, um, Madam Chair. Um, I was going to suggest, actually, we, we're, we're at the uh, fifth SBU, so we have two more remaining. Uh, we could get through behavioral health and we could get through uh, post-acute care and, uh, and I think within the remaining time and we could come back to you with the latter parts where we're talking about the support services infrastructure. Uh, if that's okay with David, uh, and um, and and then all the, the the metrics part of it as well, we could we can bring that back. And okay. I think uh, that'll be a good sort of healthy break for for you getting the full breadth of what's going on and how we will support it. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if that's okay, then we'll go ahead and go to uh, uh, Dr. Walker and Guy Kiscott to talk about uh, uh, behavioral health uh, SBU. Happy to do that. Thank you very much. The board has heard the a more detailed version of the strategic business plan before, so I assure you we can be pretty efficient. Um, I do want to take a moment, though, to say, though, the, the complicated physician, I mean, patient experience that was described earlier and the appropriate challenge to the complexity of delivering that, I would suggest one of the ways to listen to these various SBUs is all collectively they can provide that experience to a patient. And so that's a part of why you're hearing SBUs from six and seven different people, different groups, is an acknowledgement of the complexity of actually that end product of a patient satisfaction, satisfying experience. Back to the behavioral health piece of it, which is clearly the most important. Um, <laughs> I would start actually by saying a little bit about what is behavioral health because it's such a very broad term. Uh, it's included to encompass any sort of intervention that addresses not just the presence of a mental disorder or of a personality disorder or even the presence of substance abuse, but rather any lifestyle choice, priority, value system that may actually run counter to an effective treatment of a condition or run counter to good health in general. So it's, it's incredibly broad and because of its breadth it actually encompasses clinicians and people of expertise that go from psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, nurses to, to peer counselors. So it's truly, it spans the entire um, spectrum of people who can have expertise in different components of a behavioral health assessment. The, so obviously our core function then is to provide comprehensive behavioral health, but it's stated the way it is to make sure that everyone understands we do not have the delusion that AHS is going to supply all of the behavioral health needs of our community from soup to nuts. We'll do so hopefully as a coordinating body with partners in the community, but we have our, our part to play. The graphic on the right is simply a, a graphic that you've seen on other slides that outlines the physical locations of what the continuum looks like from home to ER to hospital to rehab to, to back to home. It occurs to me that we could include yet another graph which would include age groups. Um, we should probably have a span from 0 to 5, 5 to 15, uh, again addressing the concerns that you're talking about because when you talk about covering folks in a spectrum, it means uh, people of all ages. So perhaps we should have a demographic slide that's similar to the facility slide that's there as a way to sort of graphically, graphically demonstrate that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'd like to add too that uh, we perhaps we should have a, uh, a cultural slide as well because there are different ways of approaching providing behavioral health treatment according to culture. The, uh, and, and beyond just the typical cultures, what we're, uh, what we're looking at in prime, for example, is, beyond, is more than just race, ethnicity, and language, but also sexual orientation and gender identity. So there's a huge opportunity here to expand the, the experience of the patient accord and align it to their culture. So heard, noted, and excited about it. Thank you. 
Uh, as far as the strategic imperatives go, the next slide, we have, we have three basic but fairly large uh, strategic imperatives. The first is, to, is it's very difficult to navigate the behavioral health treatment uh, and help uh, um, environment. Uh, it's interesting is that we have, we all concede that uh, navigating uh, cancer treatment is challenging and, and deserves a specialized navigation, patient navigation system. And yet in behavioral health frequently we miss that point and yet it's even more difficult with multiple payers, multiple touch points. And that's our first strategic imperative is create a method and a flow for patients. As Delvecchio has said in other, in other settings, no wrong door where when the patient shows up and we touch that patient have an opportunity to affect treatment, that we do so no matter where that patient shows up and create a smooth and standard work around that. So that's our first strategic imperative. This will take an entire team across the entire spectrum, which is why the graphic shows behavioral health touching every, every uh, care point in our continuum and actually every care, lots of care points outside of our system. Uh, we, are, uh, we will be integrating with primary care as well. Uh, as you heard from uh, Dr. Walker and I in previous discussions, um, a big opportunity here is for us to impact the recognition and delivery of co-occurring uh, disorders at the primary care level. So we'll be, uh, we'll be working with primary care to make sure that we're creating a multidisciplinary work group and adopting national models, not just what we think is good, but something that's evidence behind it and has a lot of uh, publication behind it, such as the patient-centered medical home approach to, to patient treatment. We've spoken also that it's important for uh, behavioral health expertise to be integrated into the medical setting, but we're also passionate about ensuring that we bring the medical setting into the behavioral health setting as well. So it's bi-directional, not just one way. Uh, our, our patients, unfortunately, with serious and persistent mental illness die 25 years younger than the general population. And uh, according to the uh, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration at the federal government, government, it's not because of suicide or drug overdoses and things that you would think might be attached to a mental disorder or substance abuse, but typically it's because of congestive heart failure, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, those medical conditions that are undertreated in folks with mental illness. So we're passionate about that. Our second strategic imperative is to assess our capacity and service. Uh, we recognize uh, that there is a, a huge need in our community for adolescent behavioral health, a, a, a massive vacuum for child acute services. And we have an aging population and geriatric psychiatry is, uh, especially on the acute level, is uh, very difficult to find. And also, uh, in addition to that, is neuropsychiatry as well. So there's a, there's a need for these services, not just in the psychiatric environment, but in the post-acute care environment as well. Richard frequently uh, is, is, is reaching out to us saying, please help. We need psychology and psychiatric services in our post-acute environment as well. So, our, so that will take us partnering with, uh, with agencies such as Behavioral Health Care Services, with family groups such as the National Alliance on Mental Illness, with consumer groups such as Peers and the Consumer Network here in Alameda County, and making sure we're getting input and support from the entire spectrum of folks who receive care, can provide support, and provide care.
And then finally, and, and again, our passion, I didn't think I'd see it funded in my professional career, but now we have an opportunity with the waiver, and that's to integrate behavioral health care into primary care. It's, uh, it's a phenomenal opportunity. Dr. Mouse and I, are, are we get really excited about this. Um, so that's that's our that is our end game in, in our in our third strategic imperative is to make sure this is so hardwired and integrated throughout that level of care that we're actually preventing acute uh, the acute need um, and as the Kaiser model would suggest where hospitalization becomes is a cost center versus a profit center which will which is uh, what contracting will lead us to. Our timelines, as you can see below, are the first year is to work with partners to, to look at where the gaps are and where we can fill the gaps and where we need to partner to fill the gaps. Make sure we drive prime. Uh, I've mentioned in another presentation that uh, of the 10 prime projects that we've chosen, five of them specifically call out metrics of integration of behavioral health care and substance abuse into medical delivery of care. Uh, the second year is to implement a plan for improved access and actually the implementation piece and to continue to drive prime. That is, again, as I mentioned, that's our end game. And year three is a full integration throughout the system. This should read uh, not just uh, primary care, but it should read post-acute care at all levels of care, in including the community. And this would give us a jumping off point for partnering with things like school programs, community programs, as well as in-home programs. And I would ask, and, and while your point about adolescence is, is, is key, is to move that further down. Because I can tell you that the um, exhibits of mental health in, in primary grades is significant. It's huge. So when you start looking at partners, I, I hope you'll keep that in mind. Yes. If, I, if I may just add one, one additional comment, because it's a part of it that I feel very passionately about, and that is what is a good behavioral health evaluation? It is not just the identification of schizophrenia or the presence of a heroin abuse or smoking or other sort of obvious sort of habits that are not healthy. A good behavioral health evaluation includes identification of personal priorities, cultural factors that may be relevant to the, to the condition that's being treated. What are the preferences and priorities of a person? I would remind you 50% of prescriptions written on an outpatient basis don't get filled. And that's not because of the presence of persistently and severely ill uh, psychiatric patients. That's the general normal population with personal factors that are affecting their compliance with their recommendations. So behavioral health evaluation shouldn't be just about abnormal. It should be about the assessments of the normal as well and the multiple individual variations on normal that exist. At the risk of um, uh, uh, making Michelle unhappy at 630, I just want to point out that <laughs> it's, it, it appears that you've gone back to our, the first slide with um, John, I guess his name was, or yeah, because he obviously would benefit from 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 some case management, mental health case management, to ensure. Not, I mean, obviously there were there were physical and acute and um, other conditions, but he had he if he had some intervention, a behavioral intervention, or if we were truly integrated, he would be fulfilling filling his meds. And, um, and, and addressing the needs of, of finding a home and finding um, uh, whatever his social determinants were as well as the obvious acute and chronic conditions that he was suffering. So That's right. I, I think that you're, this, is, this is what I look forward to as year three, I, you know, with seniors, especially with um, seniors who tend to need 
when they have case management, it's not just because they have diabetes, because they have COPD, because they have other physical issues. It's because they're isolated. They're not independent. They're not able to get out. And, and it, it, this would just dramatically improve the health of our community once this integration occurs. So. Good Thank evening. you. So I'll be sharing the post-acute care SBU with you this evening. Richard, can you, uh, so this is, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Your name, I'm Richard Espinosa. I'm the director of long-term care operations for Alameda Hospital. Thank you. So the core function is to expand the post-acute care services into a service line. Currently, they're working pretty independently, but we want to standardize the care and the practices amongst the sites so that they meet the system's overall strategy with population health management um, and that they're practicing in a standardized way. Uh, the, the line of service will focus on access efficiency such as throughput and quality metrics, which I will touch on throughout the presentation. So one of the strategic imperatives is to evaluate capacity and service needs. We want to evaluate the capacity coming from our acute care sites, all three of them, into our post-acute care sites, and the efficiency of throughput. We also want to look at the efficiency of throughput from the post-acute care sites uh, when we're discharging residents back into the community and working with our external partners. Um, part of the um, post-acute SBU would be to continue the work that we're doing with the Fairmont acute rehab relocation into the San Leandro facility and the feasibility of utilizing that space for additional sniff beds within the system. We are currently working on the renaming of our Water's Edge facility, our Water's Edge facility, which ties into our branding of the line of service um, as a whole, which is important because currently our facilities are rated five-star facilities. All of them are from CMS, which is important for the community to know that. We also want to develop uh, systems of service. We're currently in a CRE collaboration with the California Department of Public Health, CRE being the Carpobenum-resistant Enterobacteriaceae, which is the MDRO, and how, which is becoming more prominent in our part of the state, and how we work with CDPH to develop models of care for these residents. We also want to further develop and strengthen our relationship with our external partners, our home health agencies, our boarding cares, and develop a criteria for the SNFs that we are working with in collaboration, their quality of care that they're delivering, the quality metrics that they're following. And lastly, to develop a system to achieve benchmarks for our 30-day readmissions. Uh, the national and state average uh, today is 21.1% for readmissions from SNFs back into the hospital. Mm. As of June, our facilities were at 19%, which is less than the state and the national average, but we can certainly do more work to reduce that. So in year one, we want to focus on care coordination um, as a line of service. We want to focus on efficiencies of throughput. We want to make sure that we streamline that process. We want to standardize care across all of our post-acute services, making sure that we're sharing the same policies and procedures, making sure that we're taking best practices of one facility and making that the standard amongst all of our facilities. We currently have differing uh, financial systems. We have three different financial systems for billing amongst the five sites at the moment, so looking at how we standardize that in the future. Uh, and again, focusing on our 30-day readmissions, looking at developing systems such as a heart program, a hospital at risk for our patients, identifying that upon admission. 
In year two, we want to continue focusing our branding as a, as a line of service. We want to focus on growing our subacute unit at Alameda Hospital. That unit runs at 100% full, and so there is a need in the market to grow that line. Wow. We do want to centralize our post-acute billing unit so that it's all centralized and, again, further develop our relationship with our external partners. In year three, we want to move the Fairmont Acute Rehab to the San Leandro location and, again, look at the feasibility of adding sniff beds to the current site. That concludes my presentation. Thank you. Okay, well, um, let me conclude by thanking you all. It's very clear there's a great deal of work and effort that has gone into this. Um, and we don't take this work lightly. You heard our feedback, what we intend to do. And when, when I've talked with Del Vecchio, is this will probably come back to the board another time before the board adopts it formally. Um, well, I understand that there are elements here that you want to move forward with and implement because you're in the new fiscal year. Um, I, I think that that's certainly acceptable. But as a formal document, we'll be taking this back. Um, you should also know in terms of accountability, part of the implementation of a plan in this manner is that we also will assign to our CEO who will give us very specific objectives that, though, that he intends to meet through this plan um, so that we can, in fact, hold him accountable, and that's a part of the evaluation system. So while he evaluates the progress in each of your subunits, et cetera, all the other things, we hold his feet to the fire on some of the commitments as he's made. So there is, an, in fact, I think a complete package here. But more than anything, I want to thank you for the incredible amount of work and effort that's gone into this. It's really quite impressive, and I think, I think all our board appreciates this very much. Thank you. Uh, given that, are there, um, before I close the meeting, any public comment? None. No additional public comment? Then I will, yes, sir. Sorry, just no, I'm sorry. Uh, time and uh, Deborah and I discussed this. Uh, I did want to just publicly uh, uh, congratulate the foundation and uh, and concurrently thank uh, Kaiser Permanente Community Benefit. Oh, yes. uh, as many of the trustees know, we were the recipients of a uh, $6 million grant from Kaiser to support uh, uh, the establishment of an additional uh, uh, MRI unit here uh, at uh, the in the new acute care tower, which is a part of a much broader uh, capital plan uh, that uh, Deborah and Michaela and a lot of other people have done some tremendous work on, I think, going well beyond our target of $15 million till about was it 20, 22.5? Yeah, I want to be very specific on that. So thank you so much. And, and thank you to, to Kaiser, the partnership that they've uh, demonstrated through this uh, investment in us really, really means a lot. And I think it only uh, pretends for, for more collaboration in the future. So just wanted to share that with you. A lovely way to close a meeting. Uh, meeting is adjourned. Thank you all.